Good evening, Family Church. I hope you're out there. <laughs> I'll do this by faith on a Sunday, believing that somebody's on the receiving end of this message. So I hope that you're out there and that you've had a good Sunday. Um, we are living in Lys and we had snow this afternoon, which was absolutely gorgeous. It didn't stick, mind you, because there was sort of rain straight afterwards. But it was a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. Lovely sight to behold when you see that snow coming down from the sky. It's just beautiful. So um, I'm just going to wait another minute or two just um, while we have a few more people jumping on. Um, there is a slight delay between the platform from me speaking to the actual broadcast. There's normally about two minutes or so. Um, so I'm just going to give it a, just another half a minute for those that are actually online already for their benefit and we'll get stuck in, in within the next 30 seconds. So um, hope you've got yourself a notepad and a pen ready and your Bible. Uh, open up your Bible to start with at Psalm. No, I'm not going to tell you. Actually, no. I'm not going to tell you where to open it. We'll do it in a minute. Otherwise, it'll give it all away. <laughs> Don't want to do that. Okay, so let's get started, shall we? So, building the house. Building the house. And um, you know what? For the This is week four of the series of laying a foundation. For the last three weeks, we've been laying the foundation. You know, whether that's building the house meaning your home life, your children, your marriage, your career, or the church. And so week one, two, three, we were laying that foundation and we haven't actually even really added any bricks yet. So today we are going to get into the nitty gritties a little bit, okay. Um, at the beginning of this year, um, Pastor Andy shared about, with it being 2021, um, about how, you know, growing up, um, when you reached your 21st birthday, I don't know if this still happens, but when you reached your 21st birthday, you were given the keys to the house. And it was almost like a sign that now you've become an adult. And um, you know what? We've been scattered today. I did a little Google search. We've been scattered as a church for 314 days. It's 45 weeks ago that we last met in person on the 23rd of March, 2020. And so when we do regather, Pastor Andy came with that, with that, um, that picture of the keys. And I believe that those are keys, they are keys to building the house. And that these keys are essential. And tonight we're going to dig into probably the most important key of all. I know that we've shared a lot about um, ashes, um, from ashes to beauty. Chris shared fantastically last week about Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, that we can tie ourselves to him, that he's not slightly off-center, that he's perfectly in alignment with God the Father, which leads perfectly to, to tonight's message. And we're going to speak tonight about unity, the key of unity. And what better scripture to start with than Psalm 133. So now you can go to your Bible. Psalm 133, or you can just sit back and listen and I'll read it to you. 
And Psalm 133 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren and sistren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. What a beautiful scripture. And the very first word, behold. In other words, look, see, behold. Unity is visible. Unity is visible. It's obvious. And he goes on and he says, how good and how pleasant it is. Not just how good and how pleasant, or just how good and pleasant it is. It's how good. He's emphasizing it is so good. And it is so pleasant when the, brother, when the brethren and the sistren dwell together in unity. And that word for good, for how good, refers to uh, the sweet taste. It refers to having a sweet, no, sorry, a sweet-smelling, life-giving aroma. That's how good. How pleasant is that sweet-sounding, the sweet-sounding. So how good and how pleasant means it's that sweet-smelling, beautiful, pleasant, melodious sound that flows down from the top when there's unity. And it flows from the head down. That unity flows from the head down. You know, there's structure in the house of God. I mean, just look at Jesus. Jesus always submitted to the will of the Father. He, there was total unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's always total unity in heaven. There's never an argument. There's never disagreement. There's total unity. Jesus always said the things that the Father told him to say, and he always did what the Father told him to do. There was total unity. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, Jesus was praying this, this prayer to the Father. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Total submission to the Father. And he is our perfect example, isn't he? John 17, a beautiful, beautiful scripture. It's known as Jesus's high priestly prayer. John 17. And I just want to pick out two verses. It's Jesus praying to the Father. And in verse 21, he said he's praying for the church and he's praying for the church. And he says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. You know, how important. This is so vital. We've got to get this but right first, Jesus in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. We've got to get the vertical relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then between one another. That's so key. That's so important. And he goes on in verse 22 and he says that they may be one 
just as we are one. That they, the body of Christ, the church, may be one as we are one, God the Father, Jesus is saying. I, Jesus is saying, I in them and you in me. Oh man, that they may be made perfect in one. Another translation says that they may be perfectly united, as close as that relationship is between Father and Son. That's Jesus' prayer, is that we would be united together, us church, united together, that we are one. We are many members, but one body. Listen to what the, 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 the Passion Translation of that last verse says. You live fully in me. God the Father lives fully in Jesus. And now I live fully in them. Jesus lives fully in you, child of God. So that they, the body of Christ, will experience perfect unity. What a beautiful picture of the church. In perfect unity. Unity, and he goes on, the psalmist in Psalm 133, he says, Unity is like that precious oil. It's valuable, it's costly, it's precious, and it flows. And he says, it's like the dew of Aaron, uh, the, the dew of Hermon, sorry, not Aaron, no, Aaron's the priest, sorry. <laughs> but it's like the dew of Hermon, which benefits others. You know, the Mount Hermon is a 9,000 foot mountain range that is based in Palestine. And it is always full of dew due to the hut. It's full of dew. And that dew goes, filters down and flows down into the, into the valleys and onto Mount Zion. And so in, on Mount Zion, where there should be just hard, impoverished desert, the, he, God, through that dew, takes away that infertile, hard wilderness and establishes a verdant valley. You know, it's like he takes away in order to establish. He takes away that dryness, that anointing, that presence of God. We need it. Oh man, we need it in our lives. We need it in our homes. We need that presence of God in our lives. Because that presence of God is what produces in us. And he goes on in the psalmist, he says, For there, there, where there's unity, God commands the blessing. Where there's unity, God commands it. He causes the blessing to exist. He commands it. He declares it. He decrees it over your church, over your life, over your family, God commands it. So if you want to live under the blessing of God, hey, I'll put up both hands. I want to live under the blessing of God. We live in unity. United first with the Father. United with Jesus. United with the Father through Jesus Christ. And then united with each other. And tonight we're going to look, I'm really taking a long time just with my introduction, but never mind. Hey, we've got the whole night. Just kidding. But we're going to look at 
an obvious example where we see unity at work in terms of building the house, building the house. And I know Pastor Stu did such a fantastic message. I would encourage you to go to the website and go and look for Pastor Stu's message about building the house. He gives a, it's a fantastic message. So I'm just going to pick up from there and we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah to see a perfect example of a nation of people who were united in purpose and vision. Man, a nation, not just a little group of people or a hundred or two hundred or three hundred or five thousand. A nation of people who are united in purpose and vision. News for you people, we are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. We can do this. Okay. So we go to the Old Testament, Nehemiah. And what we find in the, in the first uh, book of, of Nehemiah, we won't go there, but I would encourage you to read it during the week. We see Nehemiah is this man in the Old Testament who is in days and days of mourning. He is weeping before God. And the reason why his heart was broken his heart was broken over the state of the walls of Jerusalem. The, the walls of Jerusalem were lying in were lying in ruin. They were absolutely they were burnt down. You must know how the heat that was there in order for those stones, you know, these are massive stones that they would use to build these walls. But the stones were even burnt. The walls were broken. They were in ruins. And to 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 Nehemiah. This was such, a, it's a reproach. It was a reproach on the nation of Israel. It was a shame on the nation of Israel, a scorn. It's a disgrace. It's those broken walls uh, sort of depict defeat. Um, and so he was in mourning over this. So he fasted and prayed, much like we've just done over the last first 21 days of this year. But he sought the Lord and God laid it on his heart to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And throughout his prayer, you can read about it there in, in Nehemiah 1 and 2. He prays to God and he reminds God and he says, you know what, God, um, the children of Israel were scatterlings, but there is going to be a regathering. Oh, man. And I thought, thank you, Nehemiah. Fast forward to 2020, where it sounds like the church has, we've become scatterlings. That, um, but I tell you what, we have might have become scatterlings. We've not been able to meet in buildings. But seasons are changing and we are gearing up for a regathering. We're gearing up. Today is the 31st of January. It's the last day of January 2021. We're already one-twelfth of the way through this year. We're already one-twelfth of the way. You know, you can see, uh, times are changing, the seasons are changing. Just physically, the season is changing. Um, compared to a month ago, we have at least two hours extra daylight. Notice I said daylight, not sunlight. Um, but we have extra two hours daylight. Um, just because winter is coming towards a final ending. And, uh, but the seasons are changing from when we were scatterlings to us becoming to start to regather. Lockdown three is coming to an end soon. It's coming to an end and the church will soon begin to regather. But when we do regather, 
It's we aren't just going to pick up where we left off on the 23rd of March 2020, 314 days ago. We're not just going to be able to pick up there. We're going to have to rebuild. It's like we are going to be planting all over again. And I tell you what, it's going to be all, all fingers, all hands to the plow. But the key ingredient to the rebuilding, to the replanting, is going to be unity. We need to be single-minded to get the job done. We need to see souls saved. We need to see lives touched and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, like that anointing that, that is compared to the dew uh, uh, on, on Mount Hermon. It's of benefit to the children of Israel. And that's what we are going to be doing. We're going to be regathering for the benefit of others. But the ingredient is unity. So if you look in Nehemiah 3, we're not going to go there, but I'm just going to take, pull out some points from Nehemiah chapter 3. First of all, the walls have been lying in ruin for decades, for absolute decades. They were lying in ruin. And the lack of those fortified walls meant that the people that lived within the confines of that wall, the, the children of Israel, they were defenseless against wild animals, wild people, i.e. their enemies, and even the weather. You know, um, we're not just talking about a little picket fence here. You know, if you, if you realize the size, the enormity of the task that was at hand, um, just to give you an idea, the, the, the length of that wall was two and a half miles. It's 11 meters high and two and a half meters wide. That is huge. That is huge. And it could be overwhelming. And yet this huge task was completed within 52 days. Within 52 days it was done. So how is this possible? So who is this guy, Nehemiah? Well, I've done a little bit of research and I've ascertained Nehemiah, first of all, he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was not a master builder. In fact, he held a secular job. He was the one, uh, he was the, what was, what was he? He was the cupbearer of the Persian king. So he held down a secular job. He had no lineage of priestly lineage or anything like that. He was just an ordinary guy working in the king's palace. But he had a passion for the church. He had a passion for the house of God, which he wanted to see rebuilt. He didn't have any special anointing. He didn't just send money. He didn't just pray. He had a passion for the people of God. He had a passion for the people of God and a willingness to make a difference and to rebuild. And that passion is what qualified him. That passion is, it was so contagious that when he shared his vision and his dream for rebuilding this wall with the people of Israel, there was an immediate response. And the immediate response, a united voice they said, let us arise and rebuild. It wasn't one person saying, let me arise and 
let me arise. No, let us arise and rebuild. His, his passion was contagious, but the people caught that passion and they were a united front. And we first open up in Nehemiah and it's just so interesting to read it. It's just loads of names, but it's really, really interesting. There's detail in there that's sort of hidden. It's great to go and do a little digging in there. The first people that Nehemiah mentioned is a guy called Eliashib and the other priests. So it's interesting that the first guy mentioned is the priests and you think, Ah, you see, there's my get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't have to be worrying about that. I'm not, I'm not a pastor, um, you know. Well, I've got news for you. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood. We all have the ministry of reconciliation. Every single one of us. It's not up to the, the fivefold ministry gifts. It's for all of us to do. We call to the ministry of reconciliation and that word ministry do you know what it means it means serving it means serving that's how this is what it's all about it's about serving one another it's about serving the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ having that heart having that approach changes things I believe but but the Bible says through love we serve one another so throughout Nehemiah, though, we see person after person named. There they are working on their section of the wall. And as we go through the whole book of Nehemiah chapter 3, from one family to the next, the word, the, there's these two words that, that state next to. So you'll have this family and next to this family is another family and they're building on the wall. Next to that family, there's another, fa there's another family. Those words next to appear 16 times in one chapter. They were working shoulder to shoulder. There was no one man show. It was the whole city. And so you think, well, my word, but how did they get this done in 52 days? Well, I'm about to give you some hints and tips about this lot. These guys were just ordinary people. They, they were perfumers. They were goldsmiths. They were sons and daughters, men and women at work. They were, um, where's, where else did I get? Goldsmiths. There were people that were shopkeepers. They were leaders of, um, of the districts. People of standing and people, not so much, just ordinary guys, ordinary people like you and me. They were, they were working next to one another, single-minded, in total unity with one another. All except one group. In Nehemiah 3.5, there's this group of Tekoats. I think that's the pronunciation. But it says that they were making repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. And for some reason, these guys, these nobles, didn't join in. And I don't know why. The Bible doesn't actually say. But you know what? Perhaps they weren't willing to humble themselves because they were nobles. Maybe they, weren't, they didn't want to get their hands dirty. Maybe they didn't want to be seen rubbing shoulders 
with the others. Maybe they thought they were above it all. And in fact, the idea in Hebrew that they wouldn't submit actually means that they wouldn't bend their neck to what God wanted them to do. So maybe they thought they had a better plan. They were, they were singing from the cheap seats. They thought they had a better plan. Maybe they weren't in agreement with the vision of the building of the wall, so they didn't do it. Maybe they even criticized it. Whatever the reason, it's so interesting, though, that they were the ones not building the wall, but they were the obvious standalone people throughout the whole account. They're the only ones that didn't get involved. They were classified as nobles within their community, but they weren't part of that community, that common unity. They weren't part of it. They isolated themselves. And Proverbs 18.1, it, it warns us, it says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. Don't isolate yourself, child of God. Now's the time to get all in. Like Pastor Andy's been preaching um, for weeks on end. Be all in. Don't isolate yourself. Maybe you are isolating and it's not because of government guidelines. Maybe you're feeling hurt. Maybe you're wounded. Maybe you're offended with the church. I don't know. But I do want to encourage you. Look at the change in seasons. We've got to be aware of the seasons. And the seasons are changing. And we, you need to be in. We need you in. With all going in the same direction. If you've been disappointed, if you've been hurt, it's time to let that stuff go, to move forward. I'd recommend go back and listen to some of our messages. Listen to the one on um, beauty from ashes, where God takes away in order to establish. He doesn't just take away the pain, but he takes away, he doesn't just take away the hurt, but he takes away the sting out of that pain and he replaces it. He replaces that hurt with his love, with his acceptance, with his compassion. But don't stay isolated. Don't be like these guys that wouldn't join in, that were isolating themselves. We're not called to live the Christian life alone. We, we call to be together. There's a regathering that's going to take place. And each person has a part to play. And throughout this account in Nehemiah, unity is displayed by those words, next to, next to. These people worked shoulder to shoulder, making repairs. Some people repaired a big section. Some people made repairs that were just right in front of their house. But they all had something to do and they all got the work done. It wasn't a one-man show. It was a united team effort. It was, in fact, the entire city, a city-wide initiative to get the walls built. And throughout Nehemiah 3 as well, there's another two words that appear so often and those two words are made repairs and and the Hebrew word for this is used 35 times in that one chapter alone 35 times about making repairs that's what unity does it makes repairs it strengthens 
it encourages, it makes strong. Remember how good, how pleasant it is when brothers, when sisters dwell together in unity. It strengthens, it encourages, it makes strong. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. I'll try and read it quite quickly. I don't want to not read one bit of it. It's such a beautiful scripture. Get it, get it in your Bibles in the meantime. I'm going to have a sip of water. Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 6 says, Paul, the apostle writing, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, in other words, with humility. I beseech you, walk worthy of the calling, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, with patience, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another in love. Listen to these next words. Endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then he goes on this beautiful sentence. He says, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. John 17, Father, make them one. Make them one. That's Jesus' prayer. Make them one as you are in me and I am in them. Make them one. I love what the scripture says. It, it says that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know what? We're not called to pray for unity. We are, we are called to, we are called to endeavor. That word endeavor means be diligent to guard the unity. Listen to what uh, the message translation says. Just of that one line, it says, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. I like that, I like that interpretation, that, that, that translation from, from the message. Quick at mending fences. I don't know if you've experienced um, Storm Christoph recently. Man, he hit this country hard, didn't he? Well, I tell you what, we went for a walk just after Storm Christoph finished raging and we noticed how many people's fences had been knocked over in our area. And the people were out there mending them as soon as possible. They didn't just leave it. They didn't just leave them lying there, getting wet and decaying. They, went, they got to work immediately and started repairing their, their fences. And why am I talking now about fences? Well, I believe that sadly, within the body of Christ, there is an issue that seems to arise um, repeatedly and causes fences to fall over and for walls to be in ruin. And this issue is called gossip. Gossip. Gossip is the seed of disunity. 
you know what mud sticks whether it's true or not mud sticks and my challenge to you today it's my challenge to myself as well is what do you do if someone comes to you and gossips about someone else well let me give you a bit of advice confront it it's going to take spiritual guts confronted in an attitude of love but with a view to mending that fence be mending that fence because and the interesting thing about that scripture in Ephesians 4 it says endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit capital S keep the unity of the spirit we need to become aware that the Holy Spirit indwells each believer that when I speak to you, I see the Holy Spirit at work in your life and vice versa. And when, if someone comes to me and starts gossiping to me about so-and-so, that is not guarding, keeping the unity of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is grieved. That grieves the Holy Spirit. So we need to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be diligent to protect the unity. So there's, there's beauty in unity and there's blessing in unity. And I'm just going to come into land. We're just going to go over Psalm 133 again and read that beautiful, beautiful psalm, which says, Behold, look, see how beautiful, how, how good, how pleasant it is when brethren, when the church dwells together in unity. It's like that precious oil upon the, upon the head, running down the beard, the, 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 uh, uh, running down onto the edge of the garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. It's that, it is that flow to unity. There's that flow to unity where the presence of God can fill the place when there's unity. When there's no unity, there's no presence of God. There's no presence of God when there's no unity. But when there is unity, there's a flow to it. There's a peace to it. And there the Lord commands the blessing. Unity flows from the top down, from Father to Son to the body of Christ, to each other. we called to walk in unity. Unity between us is like that dew and that oil. It's mutually beneficial and it's the key to building the house. Let's just close in prayer, shall we? Father God, Lord, I just thank you for every person within the sound of my voice right now, Father God. And Lord, I just thank you for each and every person that has a heart to build your house. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us these keys to build your house, to see your kingdom come, to see your will being done, to be it being established in the lives of other people and ours. And so, Father God, I thank you, Lord, for, for that anointing oil. I thank you, Lord, for that unity, for that closeness. I thank you, Lord, for examples, so many examples in the Bible that you've shown us where 
we can see unity at work and, the, and, and what it produces. So, Father, we thank you that you command blessing, life forevermore over your church as we choose to walk in unity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We'll be back next week for another episode of the series Building the House. Have a great week.